I encourage you to read the talks once again and to ponder the messages contained therein. I found in my own life I gain even more from these inspired sermons when I study them in greater depth. The basic pattern is to identify the fundamental doctrine or principle that's being taught. Find any invitations associated with and related to that doctrine or principle. And then also recognizing the promised blessings if we act in accordance with that invitation. Welcome to Words of the Prophets, a podcast where we discuss the latest talks from the General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My name is Todd. Today I have with me my friend Burke. How are you, Burke? I am quite wonderful. It is, uh, at least when we're recording, the day before Christmas, one of my most favorite days of the year. And this seems like a fantastic activity to be doing today, so I'm super excited. It really is. And it is a great, um, relaxed day, so it's a great time to spend some time talking about the gospel, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, one of your favorite days of the year, so what are the other days that you love, Burke? I mean, this sounds like you have a list in your mind already to go here. Uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, because of the food focus, obviously, and mm-hmm. Christmas Day. Um, my other favorite holiday being probably the Fourth of July. Um, more really, yeah. Well, I grew up in a small town in Colorado where the Fourth of July was, you know, like the whole town got together and had like a festival in the park. And I've never, even though other places I've lived don't really do it that way, I just have such fond memories of it that the Fourth of July always seems kind of special to me. So, sure. Small towns always seem to do the fourth right. They have a, a cute little parade and there's some sort of fireworks that are that are celebratory, but they can't afford super grand fancy fireworks. So, yep. yeah. Yep. <clears throat> awesome. Well, I also have with me today Rivka. And Rivka, what are your favorite days of the year? <laughs> uh, oh, a lot of those same ones. For sure, Christmas, um, Thanksgiving, conference holiday weekends. Oh yeah, Ooh. conference holiday. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Those are tremendous. Oh. Yeah. And whatever day is the first day in spring that like I can go outside for a walk with no jacket or sweatshirt on. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so very that one nice. changes. <laughs> right. Right. That might happen to you in the winter sometimes where you live, doesn't it? I mean There have been occasional like January weeks where it's suddenly pretty randomly like 50 or 60 degrees outside but um yeah usually usually not i mean it's usually later and sometimes that means it has to also not be raining and so it can be warm enough to do that but still be raining for a while so it could happen anywhere from like march to june (laughs) right okay yeah that does sound like a great day uh, on this cold, cold, bitterly cold day yes. um, here in the upper Midwest and where you are as well. And yeah, so we have warmer times to look forward to perhaps months away, but uh, <laughs> but still to look forward to. Well, today we're going to focus on this talk, The Doctrine of Belonging by Elder D. Todd Christofferson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. And Burke, we'll start with you. What was the fundamental doctrine of this talk? Well, I'm just going to guess quote right from the start here where he says, I would like to speak about what I call the doctrine of belonging in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This doctrine has three parts, the role of belonging in gathering the Lord's covenant people, the importance of service and sacrifice in belonging, and three, the centrality of Jesus Christ to belonging. Okay, 
So he gave us a, a great opener, right? Where he gave us an overview. And since we're going to go over those each in detail, um, maybe we'll hold off on talking more about it until we get to each one. Sure. Awesome. Rivka, how about you? Um, mine comes from right at the, at the end of the talk. So I guess we'll bookend this and then we can talk about all the middle stuff in a minute. <laughs> um, Elder, Elder Christopherson says, we can feel joy as we pursue individually and communally the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Despite disappointments and setbacks along the way, it is a grand quest. We lift and encourage each other in pursuing the upward path, knowing that no matter tribulation and no matter delays and promised blessings, we can be of good cheer, for Christ has overcome the world and we are with him. Being one with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is without doubt the ultimate in belonging. I love that. Awesome. (laughs) What did you like about that? Why was it inspiring? This whole talk to me, I felt was really instructive on what unity really looks like and how we can actually go about creating or embracing unity with each other and within the culture of the church and within the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. So you were inspired to be more unified with the saints. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, the, maybe the unity is this grand quest that he's referring to. I, I think you could take that a number of ways. And in context, he was talking about, you know, the sentence before, He's talking about the Lord's high hopes for us. Yeah. Um, so interesting. So unity as a, a quest or a quest of manageable grandeur, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Well, then let's get into what he had to say about each of these to help us understand. We got the beginning. We got the end. Now let's figure out the middle, the the messy parts, the parts that are hard, where we struggle every day. So first thing he said was the role of belonging in the gathering of uh, the Lord's covenant people. So let's go back to Burke. Um, what is that role and what did he have to say about it? Well, I want to go down just a little bit further first, which I think, at least for me, made this feel very relevant when he, where he says, yet it is quite possible that at times each of us might feel that we don't fit in. Um, well, and just before that, he says a sense of belonging is important to our physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. And I almost marked that as my fundamental doctrine, but I couldn't pass up as one at the beginning where he says, here's what I'm talking about. Here's the doctrine. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think you would be hard pressed to find someone who has never felt at some point like they didn't fit in. At, right. I mean, I, in the kingdom of God specifically, I mean, we all have lots of context in our lives when we may feel that way. But even in the church where we just don't feel like we're the same or that we're as good or that we're righteous enough to be there. Or even just, I I guess I probably don't need to describe more than that. Everyone's had that feeling. So I think that makes it very relevant. Um, And so then he, he sort of starts out with talking about how the church is, you know, in its initial um, beginnings from upstate New York was um, North American and Northern European saints with a relative handful as the church grew of Native Americans, African Americans, Pacific Islanders. And now eight years away from the 200th anniversary, we have greatly increased diversity. And 
It's interesting. He says, this is not a calculated or forced diversity, but a naturally occurring phenomenon that we would expect, recognizing that the gospel net gathers from every nation and every people. I think we have to remember that, that truly everyone is not just welcome. Everyone is desired. Yeah. Yeah. I liked how he said that. Basically, if we spread the gospel the way we've been asked to, then we will be the most diverse church in the history of the world. Absolutely. Because every single person on earth we want to bring into the covenant. So, yeah, that was pretty awesome. Um, what When you've experienced that um, sense of not belonging, Burke, um, can you share any example of that and, and, and how that changed your church experience? Uh, well, I'll bring up one that comes up a fair amount. Um, you hear it in conference talks, talks on the pulpit, and you know, someone sharing a story about, well, you know, I went to a new ward or I went to church and nobody talked to me mm-hmm. and yep. I'm exactly the opposite. I go to church and if nobody talks to me, I was like, oh, that was nice. It was quiet. It was peaceful. <laughs> nobody bothered me. And so every time I hear one of those, I'm like, I'm clearly very different. Than a lot of people. Um, and I've also found over the years in classes that when I make comments, there's like crickets afterward a lot of the time, you know, I'll say something that to me seems perfectly well-reasoned and that I think is probably well accepted by everyone and it just gets quiet. And, uh, maybe everyone has that and I'd only notice my own. Um, but yeah. yeah. (laughs) Okay. That's interesting. I, that has definitely happened to me where I make a comment and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, everyone pretends like it didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) Like, can we all agree that I didn't actually say that? <clears throat> um, yeah, very interesting. And then he gives an example here of a woman who was working through infertility and, you know, people who are trying their best to be friendly are asking, oh, you know, are you newlyweds? Are you having kids? And um, yeah, that's a challenge. Uh, I-, I find that no matter what I do, I will find some way to offend somebody, right? Yeah. You, yeah. you, and the only way you can not do that or make someone feel like they don't belong or, or to never make someone feel like they don't belong is just be a mind reader, right? Because everybody wants something different. So um, when something hard happens to me, I want somebody to be like, you know what? It's going to be okay. Just, just buck up, you know, buddy, it's, it's all right. But other people just want you to um, sit silently with them and other people want you to empathize and validate. And, you know, everybody wants a different reaction, right? So Absolutely. You, you just can't predict it. Um, <clears throat> and in my ongoing effort to be um, open and honest, yet simultaneously completely and totally unrelatable, <laughs> um, I'm... I'm not going to say that I have never felt that, Burke, but I would say that I have rarely, rarely ever felt that. Um, And I thought long and hard about it as I read this talk, and I have no idea why that is, other than perhaps, you know, just God gave me a gift. Um, Even when... I mean, it could be a a real lack of introspection, but... uh, Yes, well, that might be it. (laughs) It's probably not that. probably Probably not that. Like if I spent five seconds wondering anything about myself, I would go, oh, yeah, (laughs) probably I should feel a little uncomfortable about (laughs) what I'm doing right now. 
because other people probably don't look at that very well. Well, um, perhaps, but- sorry, sorry to interrupt, but I just, there's one quote I want to read here. Perhaps it is because you have not done what he says. And he says, we may unwittingly impose expectations on others or even ourselves that are not the Lord's expectations. So perhaps here you have appropriate expectations. Mm. Yeah. I, that might be part of it, and it's not appropriate. It's perhaps a lack of. So sometimes Deanna <laughs> will just say, like, she'll talk about these controversies, like, oh, you know, uh, 10 years ago, like, oh, this woman wore pants, and she felt like everyone looked at her. I was like, what? I didn't know that was even a thing that people t- thought about wearing pants or not pants. Like, it never, ever, ever crossed my mind that that was any sort of thing at all. I was just like, whatever. So anyways, I don't know why it is, but as I read through this, I just am super grateful that uh, that I haven't had that feeling. I've had other negative feelings, but yeah, so I don't know what to tell you. But I want other people to really badly to feel like they belong in our ward, especially. And sometimes it is so hard and I don't know how to achieve it. So he, he does talk about a few ways, but... Um, before we continue on to part two, Rivka, what did you get out of part one here about um, the role of belonging in the gathering of the Lord's covenant people? Well, I mean, it's funny. The role of belonging in the gathering is sort of like, to me, I'm like, isn't that the whole, isn't that the whole of it? <laughs> like we're gathering people so that we can be a part of this thing everyone belongs. Yeah. Well, I guess one of the things that I did think about as I was reading through this was that um, he, t- he says, let me see if I can find this. Um, oh, let's see. We are favored. Oh, this is from Joseph, uh, from Joseph Smith. He said, we are the favored people that God has made choice of to bring about the latter day glory having been given this privilege we cannot permit any racism tribal prejudice or other divisions to exist in the latter day church of christ the lord commands us be one and if you are not one you are not mine and as i was thinking about after i read that and was thinking about it i thought it's not just because this idea like we have a very privileged group and if we let you in it's because you know you i don't know you you've been given a special dispensation so you can come and join our very special group even though you're an outsider it doesn't work like that at all um with the church we are trying to bring everyone in because everyone already belongs in this mm, so everybody like everyone is already part of this chosen group the gathering is just our efforts from within the group to help everybody see that they're already Mm. a part of it. And I think that's a big difference in the way we should look at this from a gathering standpoint versus how it works out in the world with, you know, specialty groups or, or things where you're trying to get into a certain group or a certain school or a certain something that everybody already belongs and the work of the gathering is to help people see that they're already a part of God's kingdom and to come and and to fully get all of the blessings that come from being a part of it that they're not getting because they don't know yet. Right. That is a really beautiful way to think about it. And it ties into that thought of identity and tribalism of um, 
you know, that and President Nelson talked about letting any other identity overcome our identity as as children of the covenant and children of God. You know, you you may belong to some other groups as well, but you already belong to this one and it's the most important one that yeah. you can ever be a part of. So. Yeah, and so prejudice and discrimination don't even make sense in that context because nobody's yeah. necessarily prejudiced or discriminatory discriminatory against people who are part of their inner circle. And so if right. if everyone is part of that this inner circle of gods, then then prejudice and discrimination don't even make sense. Right. Um that's fantastic. Um, I, I love that. And uh, I love that approach to it. And I think that at the end of this section, he talks about not judging. I think viewing ourselves and everybody else that way would go a long way towards just mm-hmm. fundamentally not judging. Um, I just wanted to add one quote here from the second to last paragraph before he goes to part two. He says, it is a sad irony then when someone feeling he or she doesn't meet the ideal in all aspects of life concludes that he doesn't or she doesn't belong in the very organization designed by God to help us progress toward the ideal. Um, I, I think it's a little bit like saying, oh, I can't go to the doctor because I'm sick and everybody at the doctor is healthy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so easy to look at everybody in the church and just think, oh, they've got it all together or they, you know, they're already so you know, much more righteous or whatever things go through our heads that aren't true. Um, and man, how not true are those things? Like they, nobody has it all together. We all have so much work to do and it might be different than, you know, my work might be different than your work, but we all have so much work to do. And I I always think about what Burke said about the distance between me and anybody else is so, insignificant compared to the distance between me and God's perfection. So, um, yeah, I, I, it's, it can be overwhelming to feel like, Oh, I, I don't fit that mold, but really nobody does. Right. We're all trying to work towards that. So, all right, let's go to part two. Um, and the second thing he wanted to talk about was the importance of service and sacrifice in belonging and I'm going to start out this one because this is where I marked my fundamental doctrine. Right after he um, segued into it, he said, although we rarely think about it, much of our belonging comes from our service and the sacrifices we make for others and for the Lord. Excessive focus on our personal needs or our own comfort can frustrate that sense of belonging. So in this um, sort of paradoxical way that the gospel always has, we have to give up our life to gain our life. And the more we sit around and think about how we can um, belong or how we can do something to, um, you know, change things, uh, to make it so that we feel better, the less that actually gets accomplished. And the only way to do it is to actually get out and sacrifice some of your own time and effort and whatever else it may be to go serve somebody. That gives you a feeling of love and charity and belonging that you really can't get any other way. And it's something I have definitely seen and experienced in my life where the more I am working to help others, um, the better I feel and the happier I am and the more I feel that sense of community. So I really appreciated um, this doctrine here that he taught. And I, that's why I marked it as my fundamental doctrine. So Mm-hmm. Burke, how about you? What did you take from this second section? 
Uh, so I marked, um, which is actually, uh, he's quoting someone else. He says, University of Notre Dame sociologist or religion Christian Smith found in his study of adults ages 18 to 23 that most of them believe society is nothing more than a collection of autonomous individuals out to enjoy life, unquote. He said, by this philosophy, mm. anything that one finds difficult is a form of oppression. Yeah. Which I think all of us, having read media and you know getting the gestalt of the direction things are heading, would say, yeah, this is this is what we see in social media. But so unhappy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, could you design a worse way to live life? I don't think so. But it's interesting that uh, yeah. that's that's really what people are believing, and it's no wonder then that we see so much unhappiness and anxiety and depression in the world around us. Yeah. Isn't it so interesting that the very thing the world preaches is the path to happiness is the path to unhappiness, right? Yeah. The, the more you focus on yourself, the less yeah. happy you are with yourself. Well, I mean, yeah, because like you, I mean, you just talked about how helping others and getting outside yourself is the way to find happiness. But that just seems like, well, living my life for someone else, that's oppressive. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's exactly the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, and I, speaking of the 4th of July, I appreciate some of our uh, American rugged individualism, but this is taking it to like the ultimate extreme where nobody else even matters. And that is just, you know, a down, an outright lie. So, um, awesome. Thank you, Burke. Rivka, how about you? Anything from the second section? Well, it's actually a footnote from the first section, but reading it helped me understand this concept that's part of the second section a little better. Um, and it's, it's a little bit long, but I'm going to read it anyway. He's quoting, um, it's footnote four and he's quoting from a wall street journal article written by Irving crystal. who's a <clears throat> journalist and an essayist. This is from 1997. Um, the title of the article is the welfare state spiritual crisis. Religion that is merely a private affair has been until our time unknown in the annals of mankind. And for good reason, such religion quickly diminishes into an indoor pleasure, a kind of a hobby of one or more individuals, like reading a book or watching television. So it is not astonishing that the search for spirituality has become so fashionable. It is what individuals liberated from religion desperately seek as a substitute. Spirituality is indeed an integral part of all religions, but a minor part, and it cannot be a substitute for the whole. Religion is not some kind of psychic exercise that occasionally offers a transcendental experience. It either shapes one's life, all of one's life, or it vanishes, leaving behind anxious, empty souls that no psychotherapy can reach. And for religion to shape one's life, it needs to be public and communal. It needs to be connected to the dead and the unborn. So this guy is not a member of our, our faith. Some of that stuff I was like, wow, he's talking about you know, the life before and the life after. But what helped me so much from, from this writing of his was this understanding a little better why our practice of, of religion and our belonging to this, why it's so important that it's communal and, and that there is a group that we're involved with. Because that isolation that happens when we are focused only on our own needs and our own concerns, um, and we never look outwards, that becomes a self-imposed isolation, and that is a recipe for misery. That's what we've been saying. And so 
I think when we're when we're when we're commanded and as we're talking about this thing where we need to go out and serve others, it's that because service makes us an active part of the group and an active part of the community. And if we're an active part of it, we are doing the giving, but you if you're an active part of a group, you are also receiving constantly. That's just how that dynamic works. So it does seem a little counterintuitive if we're struggling in ourselves to reach out and look for a way to serve. But I think that that opportunity to serve is just a tangible way for us to become actively involved in a group. And we need each other. We need the group in order to um, in order to feel like we belong and in order to feel like we um, are have something of value to contribute. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, from there, let's go on to section three, which is the centrality of Jesus Christ to belonging. And Burke, we'll go back to you. What did you take from this section? Well, he says here, we don't join the church for fellowship alone. Important as that is, we join for redemption redemption through the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And I thought it was interesting. I spent some time thinking about why he left this one till last. Because you'd almost, it seems like it would make sense to start with Jesus Christ and then and then extrapolate outwards. But I like that he, you know, had the the human examples earlier of maybe we're struggling and why this is important. And so once we want to get outside ourselves, then we start to serve others. And then ultimately we have to realize that we can't do everything and that the most important work is going to be done by Jesus Christ. And I like down here where he quotes, interestingly, quotes an article that at the time of the talk had not been printed yet. Um, but this is, of course, an Elder Nosen quote, and he says, Once you and I have made a covenant with God, our relationship with him becomes much closer than before our covenant. Now we are bound together. Because of our covenant with God, he will never tire in his efforts to help us, and we will never exhaust his merciful patience with us. Each of us has a special place in God's heart. In God's heart. Jesus Christ is the guarantor of those covenants. And then he says, If we will remember this, the Lord's high hopes for us will inspire, not discourage us. And I think you'd be hard pressed to have gotten through our study this year of the Old Testament without realizing that covenants with God are very important. And so I love this excerpt from um, President Nelson's article in the October Liahona. Yeah, fantastic. And we all um, actually sort of coincidentally had each been texting each other about this article and yep. um had recently read it or reread it and it's a great article. So I uh, highly recommend going to read it. It's um, as you said, it's in the October Liahona and it comes from um, a leadership training he gave. Um, and let's see, what was the name of it? The everlasting covenant. So really good. And some, sometimes it feels like president Nelson is an old Testament prophet, you know, sort of made modern. Um, but man, does he ever focus on covenants and Israel and the gathering of Israel. And uh, a lot of that really resonated with me this year as we read the Old Testament. And of course, the Old Testament has the um, <clears throat> reputation of being about a sort of angry, vengeful God. But as you read it, the Israelites, 
probably from the human standpoint deserved much more <laughs> sort of vengefulness and wrath than they received because he was, as he says here, the Lord never tired in his efforts to reach back out to Israel, no matter how far they strayed. Um, you know, he, the Lord was ever ready and waiting over and over and over and over. And we just, we saw that so many times in the Old Testament this year. Yeah. And it does make me um, optimistic to feel that he wants that same thing for me specifically. Yeah. And for you specifically and for the church as a whole. And it was a rare instance where he talked in the Old Testament this year about individual salvation, right? He talks about salvation in terms of his people. Um, so we just, we can't do it alone. So we, we have to be together and Christ brings us together. And so all three of these principles, you know, become one in the end. So Rivka, anything to add to that, uh, for the third section here? Rivka's muted. <laughs> That's what I get for blowing my nose. Okay. Um, <laughs> you all didn't want to hear that. I know. So for me, this third one was like kind of a perfect tie up for the other two. Um, the way that I was looking at it as I read this was that because, because this spoke so much of unity to me, this talk, I was thinking about how we genuinely, like, as we are trying to do this immortality, we're genuinely going to struggle as a group with things like discrimination and intolerance and prejudice. And we are genuinely going to struggle as individuals with feelings of inadequacy and, and being different and not part of the group. And as we try to overcome those, we're just not going to do it perfectly. And that's okay. <laughs> Heavenly Father knows that, and He wants us to keep trying. But Jesus Christ is the one who can take those efforts that we are making, and and He can heal the hurts that come, and he, um, from interactions, and He can heal those things inside of us that create the feelings of inadequacy and the lack of belonging. And He's the one who makes the unity whole and true and perfect. And so we just have to keep trying our best and know <laughs> that it's going to be a struggle and it's okay because Jesus Christ is the one who is going to make it perfect for all of us. So that's one of the things too, the ideas that I loved about that quote I read at the beginning is when it says we lift and encourage each other in pursuing the upward path, knowing that no matter tribulation and no matter delays and promised blessings, we can be of good cheer for Christ has overcome the world. He's the one that does it and we are with him. Yeah. Fantastic. I love it. Okay. Well, that was a, a great talk. Let's uh, do quick invitations and promised blessings here to finish up. Burke, anything that you saw? Well, I marked as an invitation in the paragraph riff because I already read like twice right near the end. But I also <laughs> think the one after that, when he says, okay. Each one of us can affirm Jesus Christ died for me. He thought me worthy of his blood. He loves me and can make all the difference in my life. And I just like that invitation for each of us to affirm that, or if we don't know that, to gain that testimony. Yeah. I'm actually just going to read the whole thing um, and read it one more time. I thought it was interesting. It, it wasn't a direct invitation. He's giving us an affirmation, which is um, unusual in a general conference talk, but I really liked it. So I'll, I'll just read it one more time. 
and, the, and all the way through. Jesus Christ died for me. He thought me worthy of his blood. He loves me and can make all the difference in my life. As I repent, his grace will transform me. I am one with him in the gospel covenant. I belong in his church and kingdom, and I belong in his cause to bring redemption to all of God's children. Um, well, Rivka, anything to add for invitations and promised blessings? No, I think that's beautiful. And despite the fact that I have times when I need to remind myself of this, I know that it's true. Yeah. Well, that's what an affirmation's for, right? Mm-hmm. Is uh, we know it's true, but we have to remind ourselves of it over and over. So mm-hmm. fantastic. Well, this is a great talk by Elder Christofferson. The next one we're going to discuss is Our Earthly Stewardship by Bishop Gerald Calcet. I'm sure I did not pronounce that right, as he is French, uh, the presiding bishop. So uh, in the meantime, you can get a hold of us by reaching out to us on social media at Words of the Prophets Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or Words of the Prophets Podcast at gmail.com. So thank you to everyone who joined us today. And until next time, keep the faith. If we teach by the Spirit, and you listen by the Spirit, some one of us will touch on your circumstance, sending a personal prophetic epistle just to you.